Jesus Christ, your name is proclaimed to be the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Your name. We've come this morning to celebrate the truth and the power of who you are, O God, and the difference that you want to make in our lives. We open our hearts and our minds now asking you to touch us right at the point of what you know to be each of our greatest need. And we ask it expecting that when you touch us with your truth and the power of your healing touch and even your convicting touch, we will be changed people because of you. And we look forward to that. And so in anticipation of that, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated, dear friends. And I'll dismiss the children, the little ones, up through grade four. My guess is there's not so many of them this weekend since I understand this is a teacher's conference weekend. So lots of our families have scattered for a little additional time. You see the banners hanging in front of you that we haven't seen for a long time. In fact, I wonder if you remember that those banners first appeared the summer of 2007. I remember standing on this platform and kind of curling my toes over the edge as we went into the summer. And I asked you to imagine that the man in the middle of the picture represents God himself, and he's taking a hold of your hand, and he's running at that time into the summer of 07 with you. As we run into the year 2012, could I ask you to get the same picture? The Lord Jesus Christ takes a hold of your hand and wants to run with you, if you will, into the year 2012. Now, here's my question. Does that awaken fear or anxiety in you? Because maybe Jesus will get lost in the way. Maybe I need to help him. Or maybe he's so busy with so many other people, he'll let go of my hand and I'll find myself all alone. Three weeks ago, I stood before you and I did this. Do you remember? And I said, we're standing on the pinnacle of that moment between the year 2011 and the year 2012. And I asked you to do it. You remember that? And I said that if you'll do that, if you'll think about that January 1st date as a beginning into a brand new year, I gave you that morning several things that could help you live 2012 with hope. First, I told you, God is already there waiting for you, that you will not experience anything in 2012 that's a surprise to God. So we're three weeks in. Have, have you found that to be true? Nobody? I have. It's been wonderful. I got to Haiti a week ago, and God was there. Amen. I hope you'll own that, that as you step into each new day, God is already there waiting for you. And then I told you that if you would let God frame your 2012 with his truth, that no matter what you experience in 2012, if you will look at it through the lenses of God's truth, it will help you greatly. Have you experienced that in 2012? And then if you'll take your, your notes, please, out of your worship folder there. Uh, two weeks ago, when, when I was in Haiti, Pastor Chuck was here opening God's word to you. And you see, I've quoted there what, what he gave us that day. He said, make the most of 2012 by embracing the grace of God. You remember that? And I jotted in your notes, uh, may I suggest two little phrases. What does grace mean? It, it is the unearned initiative 
of God's favor towards you. Unearned, you can't beg God to bless you or, or to extend his grace to you. He does it. He initiates it to you because he wants to, because he loves you. Embrace, it, it means I, I must determine that I will receive it and fully accept it. It can't run off of me like water off a duck's back. So you, you got your pencil, right? You always bring a Bible and a pen or a pencil to Calvary. Uh, jot this question down right under that. What grace do I expect from God? What grace do I expect? From, if grace is God's unearned favor that he's extending to you, if you're really honest with yourself, would you agree? You expect that God is going to keep pouring out his favor to you every day. You expect that when you wake up in the morning, your heart is going to keep beating even though you're not doing anything to keep it beating. That's God's favor. You expect that God's going to bless you and protect you, right? Right. Yep. Second truth, last week, Pastor Chuck in Haiti, they were much more awake than this, but that's okay. <laughs> last week, Pastor Chuck said, if you want to make the most of 2012, walk it with God by faith. And he took us into Hebrews chapter 11, you remember, where it says faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do not see. And he said, walking with God is not possible without faith. And then he said, living by faith testifies to the reality of the unseen. That whole chapter 11, it says over and over and again, so-and-so by faith did such-and-such. It doesn't mean they had faith. It means they lived faith. So, got your pencil? Jot down this question. What faith does God expect from me? Ooh. The first question was a lot more fun to write. What grace do I expect from God? Yep, I expect God's going to keep me healthy and well, and he's going to bless me, and every day is going to be fun. Mm, I expect that. What faith does God expect from me? Oh, that's a different matter. You, you, mean, you mean God, as he gives me life and breath every day, he expects something from me? Yes. If I've trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior, he expects that I'm going to live my life by faith in him. Hmm. Now, for the last 14 or 15 years, I have, may I say, tested God. I, I've said, God, if this is really true, you say it's a living, active, miraculous book, your Bible, your word. If it's true, I'm asking you for a verse, just one in all the thousands that will be so powerful this next year in my life and the lives of my friends that we could call it a theme verse for the year. And for 15 consecutive years, he's done it. Last year's verse, you'll see it on the screen. Remember, say it with me. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and he's my salvation. He's my fortress. I'll not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. Trust in him at all times, O people. And as I look around the room, uh, uh, almost every person I see that I know pretty well, that verse was a cornerstone for you this last year. I see folks in the room who lost jobs unexpectedly. I see folks in the room who ended up in the hospital unexpectedly. Uh, folks in the room who experienced the break of wonderful relationships and they're living with the pain of it today. 
And all through the year, you had the opportunity to own that and to live that. Question, did you find that to be a source of great strength and hope in 2011, God's truth? I did. Now, you ready for 2012? Here it is. And there's a card in your worship folder, one for you, and I got stacks of them out at the Welcome Center to take a whole bunch more if you'd like it. Would you say it with me, please? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We'll stop right there. This week we're going to do verse 1. Next week we'll do verse 2. Got your notes? Got your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 12? And if you didn't happen to bring a copy of God's Word, there's one under the chair in front of you, because for the next few minutes, God wants to speak powerful truth to you and to me through this verse. Therefore... What does it mean, therefore? It's a little word that shows up often, particularly in this book of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who the author was of what we call the book of Hebrews. And nowhere in the book is it identified. He is writing to Jewish folks, both Christians and he's calling to Jewish folks who have not yet trusted Jesus Christ to be their Messiah. And all through that book, he uses that little word, therefore, several times. In fact, you see there, I've listed a whole bunch of them for you in your notes. One of them was the verse out of which I got our theme for this last summer. Therefore, let us draw near to God. You remember the picture with the little child and arms outstretched? Now, if you like to mark in your Bible, may I urge you to put a stop sign next to the word therefore in chapter 12, verse 1. Or maybe just the word stop. You see what I wrote for you in your notes there? Whenever the word therefore shows up in the Bible, it's a stop sign. It says stop, look back, listen to what God has been saying in God's word previous to this word, listen to what he wants to tell you, learn what he wants to tell you in that moment, and then move forward slowly. Most of us in this room have driver's licenses. Uh, You are accustomed to seeing that red stop sign a long way away and slowing down and preparing to stop. Perhaps you've had the experience where you're sitting at the stop sign and suddenly, shoom, right in front of you, somebody blew the stop sign. And your heart is beating 100 miles an hour and you're thinking, if I had been one more second out into the intersection, I'd be toast. And you said, thank you, God. Or maybe you've had that opportunity where I think they call it a rolling stop, where the stop sign right in front of you becomes a yield sign and just kind of yield to the traffic. I mention that, my friends, because if that's the way we treat the word therefore in the Bible, we're going to miss it, whatever it is God wants to say to you and to me. In this particular case, he's saying, look back at chapter 11 and all that I've done, this list of great heroes of the faith who lived by faith. In the Jewish tradition, as you know, stories are so powerful, and so little Jewish kids, almost before they're able to walk, they know all about Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph, and they feel privileged to be born into that legacy. How about you? As you've read through chapter 11 this week with Pastor Chuck in the Digging Deeper, did you feel a great sense of, I'm a part of that, that great history and legacy? This morning, I want to ask you to, therefore, stop for just a moment. 
You see in your notes there where I have written for you, I am today, therefore. Parenthesis, places and people of my past. You are this morning, whoever you are, the product in part of where you've lived in your life journey and the people who have been a key part of your life. So I've left a little space there so that you can jot down some of the places where you've lived that were significant in your life and some of the people in your life who influenced you. 25 years ago this weekend, Dawn and I got off an airplane in Port-au-Prince, Haiti to live there for the rest of our lives. We had with us a little second grader, our daughter April, and the years that we lived there profoundly shaped who we are today. How about you? Where are those places, those people, that when you stop for a moment and you look back, you say, I am today therefore a result of that? In the Old Testament, you may remember in the book of Psalms, frequently you'll see the little word selah. Off to the side, it means stop, ponder, reflect, learn what God wants to teach you here. I also wrote for you, I am today, therefore, because of the events and the choices of my past. All of us in this room are shaped by significant events in our lives And all of us live today in the shadow of the choices that we have made in our lives. Am I right? Pastor Mark and Julia are here this weekend with their family, and they're at a crossroads of decision. They cannot be in two places at one time. And it really doesn't matter where they would like to be. It matters where would Jesus like them to be. And so they're spending this week with us seeking the face of God, as are we. And the choice that they make in these next days will have a profound effect on the rest of their life. So there's a place there for you to jot down what have been some of those significant events in your life and some of those significant choices that you've made that have resulted in who you are today. Now, you can disregard that opportunity and you can just keep rushing on through life, roll right through the stop sign. In fact, you can blow the stop sign off if you want to. Let's get on with it. There's a football game on television this afternoon, or there's other things to... Or you can take my urging and stop and look back and reflect and ask God, what do you want me to learn about my journey thus far? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, got your pencil? Jot down two words next to the word witnesses. The first word is spectator. Because often if you've read this verse in the past, you perhaps have had in your mind a great stadium and there's thousands of people around watching you live your life. Yes, there's truth to that. But also write down the word model, M-O-D-E-L. There are people who have gone ahead of you who have modeled for you how to live life. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Those are the people who as they lived life, they modeled for those coming behind them. How do you live life by grace? great faith. I've jotted down in your notes there, as you can see, four groups or individuals of people that fit into the category. Angels and demons, they are spectators. The Bible tells us in several places both of them are watching carefully what's going on here on this planet as the human race lives life. And as Jesus Christ continues to rescue day after day thousands and thousands of people from the kingdom of darkness. Amen? In fact, there's a verse I quoted there. Do you see it? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world. 
It's true, the angelic world is, especially the demonic world, very involved in the reality of life with us. When I was in Haiti ten days ago or so, we were there on a medical mission, as you know, and I was translating there with one of the physicians and actually moving back and forth between the rooms each day. There were other translators as well. I was in the surgical suite tra translating for Linda as she did surgery. And the evening before one particularly long day, I had uh, a question that had come to me from the team to further explain this matter of voodooism and demonism in Haiti. And so I gave some explanation of that. And I explained to them that, among other things, uh, when a person has gone to the witch doctor and has, in a sense, sold their soul to the devil, if you will, uh, placed themselves voluntarily under the, the control of the dark kingdom, the witch doctor will sometimes tie a cord around their abdomen, usually red, as a symbol that reminds them and the watching world, the angelic world, that they have voluntarily made themselves available to the dark kingdom. Nobody would know it because it's inside their clothing. So I'm sitting with Dr. John Wolliver and a young woman comes in and she's complaining about various symptoms and I just had a sense and I said to John in English, let's let the Haitian resident doctor handle this one. And then I translated for him and sure enough after only a couple of questions the young woman said yes she had been to a witch doctor and yes she had been enslaved in that situation for months and so they, she sat down on the examining table and lifted up her shirt a little bit and there was a cord tied around her belly and John's eyes got as big as donuts as you might imagine. The reality of an unseen world that engages in our world is right there in front of him. Now a number of you, are, perhaps if you're visiting today, you're thinking, what kind of a church is this? Well, this is a church that has as one of its pastors a man who was a missionary and lived in one of the darkest places of the world. And so occasionally I bring the reality of that to the reality of us here because it's not just there. This dark kingdom is everywhere, reaching into every community, including ours, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, the rulers, the authorities of this dark world. A, a second part of the great cloud of witnesses is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God. He is, would you agree, uh, omnipresent, which means he's with you, he's with me, no matter where we are at any time in the world, right? Aren't you glad? He is omniscient, meaning he understands everything about you and me at all times, and he is omnipotent, meaning he's powerful enough to do something about it, whatever it is that's a problem in your life. Amen? Amen. And God the Father is sovereign over all. And God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our Savior who can rescue us out of the darkness. And God the Holy Spirit is our Counselor, Jesus said, who leads us and fills us and empowers us. Amen? That God is watching you. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then there are what I'm calling the ancients. Those who've gone before you and me in the journey of life. It's been a privilege for me to move back to Williams Bay in the last few years because my roots are here, even though I've never really lived here. Occasionally, I drive up to the East Delavan Cemetery right up here. How many of you have ancestors who, uh, who are buried up there? Am I the only one in the whole room? There's a few. Occasionally, I walk through that cemetery, and there's a particular stone that simply says Anderson. doesn't mean anything to you, or to, but it does to me. 
That's great-grandfather Charlie Anderson, who moved to this town in 1892 as a 19-year-old boy and helped to start this church in 1921. And then there's one that says Kelman, Edith Kelman, huh? And probably there's some that have names on the stones that mean a lot to you. Those are the ancients that have gone before us. Now, the Bible doesn't make it clear to us if they're watching you and me, but what the Bible does make clear is they have set a course for us. They have modeled for you and me, in many cases, how to live by faith. Amen? And part of why I love to go back to Haiti, of course, is I go back to that place where where, where Jane Gabler and I and others like us, we saw the ancients who went before us. In the early 40s, there was a, a, a young midwife. She wasn't even a nurse who, who lived out east and wanted to make a difference in the world, especially in places where the infant mortality rate was so high. And so she ended up in Haiti on the north coast where there was no other missionaries at that time and started just helping pregnant ladies understand how to take care of their babies, prenatal care, and then helping them learn how to give birth safely and then helping them learn how to care for their newborn safely. And what was at that time almost 70% infant mortality began to drop severely in that area. And people were amazed. Babies can live. (laughs) It wasn't long thereafter that a young doctor Haitian doctor had completed his studies and needed to do his year of residency and he'd heard about this unusual lady up there in the north and went up and spent a year there with her. He had already married a wonderful Haitian woman who had a teaching degree. And so while she was there with him, because there was no school in the area, she began to teach some children how to read and write, some adults too for that matter. Well, it came to the end of the year, and of course their plans were to go back to the big capital city where he'd get a job in a big hospital, and she'd maybe get a job teaching or maybe even start a school. But as they approached the end of that year, crowds of people started to come to their little house. You're not going to leave us. There is no doctor around here. There's no school around here. Couldn't you stay at least another year? So after prayer, because they were fine Christian people, they agreed to stay one more year. When Don and I arrived there 25 years ago, they were still there. (laughs) They had never left. He was, Dr. Orius was blind in one eye and he was diabetic, but he was faithful there every day. He built that up from a little lean-to to a hospital, a medical center. Missionaries had come to help him. I had come to administrate that place. And his dear wife? (laughs) Pretty soon the little front porch wasn't big enough for all the children, so they built a little place and then another little place. And... Eventually, it was the largest school in the area, K through 12, Christian school for the Haitian children. When we were there last week, I I, I took the team to see those places. A young boy whose father became a pastor in that area was fascinated by old Dr. Orius and would come often just sit at his side and watch him care for patients. God awakened something in his heart to become a doctor. He went on to medical school, and when Don and I arrived there 25 years ago, he had just come back as a surgeon and worked alongside of our missionary surgeon for years. Guess who is now the medical director of the medical center 25 years later? God blessed him with a wonderful wife and started to bless them with children almost 20 years ago, and his second born was born with cerebral palsy. There is no place in Haiti for cerebral palsy care, So he sent his wife and his two children to the United States, and they have lived in Florida for almost 20 years. And he has stayed there serving the hospital, coming back every few months to spend time with his wife and his family. And We sat together last week, and I said, Dr. Mozart, why are you here? 
He said, how can I not be here? You left your families, your churches, your jobs, and and you came here. And others came before you, and that's why we have this hospital. How could I not be here to serve? These are my people. I learned it from you. At his side is now a young resident whose father had polio and had been taken in by that missionary nurse I told you about in the 40s. And he was one of dozens of children that she took in and cared for because in those days a handicap was worthless and families would just abandon him. Nose Poliard worked even with braces and crutches all of his life there in the hospital, and now his son is a resident doctor alongside of Dr. Mozart. Do you see the legacy, the ancients? So who are those, my friends, who have gone on before you? They've been models for you. They're cheering you on now in the journey of life. And then there's one last group. Do you see it there? I'm calling it the watching world. Oh, there's a whole bunch of those. Those are the people where you work. Those are the people in your neighborhood. Those are the people where your kids go to school. That's your extended family. That's the people who know you. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, some of whom have shown us the way, others who are hoping we will show them the way. So I've left some space there for you to jot down what I'm calling your cheerleaders. (laughs) The people who are hoping that you'll get it right. The people who have modeled the journey for you. The people who desperately need you to show them the way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Do you see that the word therefore calls us to stop and look back? What do I need to learn? Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's a momentary assessment of where we are right now. And the formula continues. Now, as we go forward, let us... Do you see what it says? Let us throw off everything that hinders. Hmm. So what is that for you? I've got a few pictures that maybe Candy will run on the screen of our time there in Haiti as we talk just a little more about this matter. As you think about going forward, you're not growing up in a place where there's virtually no education. No health care, no roads, no safe political infrastructure. You're growing up in one of the finest countries of the world with opportunity beyond measure. But the verse says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off anything that hinders. As you look forward in your life, what is it that's hindering you from being the man or the woman that God has designed you to be. You're probably not going to have to worry about will you have lunch today like those kids. You're probably not going to worry too much about no matter what you pick up to read, as long as it's in English, can you read it? Because you're well educated. Probably not going to need to worry about uh, is our government going to implode and, and who knows who's going to take over because there's stability in our nation. So can you look closely at, in your life, what is it that hinders you from being the person God has designed you to be and accomplishing that which God would like to accomplish in your life? The baggage. 
the baggage of past failure that you just can't release and leave it at the cross so that you can go forward unhindered by the baggage. The resentment and the bitterness towards someone who hurt you and you just can't let it go and go forward unhindered by the past. The fear of failure in the future that you can't just give over to God and go forward trusting he's already there. Let us throw off everything that hinders. What hinders you from being all God has called and designed you to be and accomplishing that which God would like to accomplish in and through you? The Apostle Paul, when writing to the Philippians, he says, I am praying that you will be able to discern what is best for you and that you will prioritize the right priorities and you will pursue knowing God because he'll then be able to lead you forward. Are you growing in that? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are they? The models that have gone before you and the spectators encouraging you. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, would you please, for just a moment. This is one of the most powerful portions in God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4. And as you think about going forward and living life in 2012, not wanting to be hindered in life, and not wanting to have the sin that so easily entangles grab the hold of you again, these four or five verses are key to that, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 4, where Paul writes, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. If you like to underline, underline that, the futility of their thinking. The downward slide toward becoming hindered or entangled is wrong thinking. Do you have someone in your life, preferably a family member or an accountability partner, who you have said, please, if you think that I'm not thinking right, challenge me on it. Ask me some questions. Because wrong thinking will always lead to what the next verse says. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. Wrong thinking always leads to dark understanding. And they're separated from the life of God. Wrong thinking will separate you from what God wants to do in your life because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Wrong thinking will always lead to a hard heart. Always. A defensive heart. A critical heart. And wrong thinking and hard-hearted people always lead to the next thing. Having lost all sensitivity, verse 19, you're no longer sensitive to the people around you who want to help you or the Holy Spirit of God who wants to help you. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with, what does it say? A continual lust for more. That means you find yourself down in that place where you're making wrong choices that hurt you and the people around you, and it's an insatiable appetite. You just can't stop it. Wrong thinking leads to a hard heart, leads to wrong choices all the time. And when you find yourself down in that dark place, almost always, what will you do? Blame. It can't be my fault. I couldn't have put this myself in this mess. It must be somebody else's fault. And you look for somebody to blame, right? Or hide. I don't want anybody to know. 
I'll hide and I'll pretend that all is well when in fact I'm imploding. But God says, don't do either of those. Turn to me and ask me for your help, for, for my help. And when you do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shine the beacon of truth. Do you see the next verse? You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. When you find yourself thinking wrongly, or you find yourself with a hard heart, or you find yourself making choices that are hurting you and others around you, God, what is your truth on the matter? Let God speak truth into your life. And when he does, he's going to show you what the problem is. And when he does that, don't argue with him. (laughs) Instead, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You're right, God. What you just showed me in in my life That's why I'm thinking wrongly. That's why I have a hard heart. That's why I'm making wrong choices. You're right, God. i got to stop that. I want to push that out of my life. God, I, I need you to give me new attitudes in my mind, verse 23. And verse 24, God, I'm inviting you to create in me a new man, a new woman, pure before you. Cleanse me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Empower me and lead me forward as a new man or a new woman. Do you see that, my friends? Now, I'm urging you to own that because those few verses right there, if you'll really work through that, you'll find that to be one of your best friends in the whole Bible. Because you'll find yourself, I'm sure, within the next few weeks thinking wrongly about something. And if you're not careful, you'll start having a hard heart. And if you're not careful, it'll lead you to making choices that are wrong for you and other people around you. And then you'll probably blame somebody. Or you'll probably hide But I want to urge you, if you find yourself in that place, don't do either of those. Instead, reach out to God and ask him to show you his truth and ask him to help you out of that mess. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. That's a forward look saying, do I know myself well enough that I know the bear traps that I have stepped in in the past that have grabbed me? And going forward, I can avoid them. So that... We can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Is there a race marked out for you personally? Yes. When God chose at a particular moment in time to reach into your mother's womb and conceive you and then knit you together carefully according to Psalm 139 in your mother's womb and then birth you and give you life and breath to this moment, did he have in his mind a particular life journey that he would love to lead you along? For your good and for the impact of the world, absolutely yes. But he never forces you and me, does he? So we meander and wander all over the place, occasionally getting on that path, but spending a whole lot of time in other places, and he keeps beckoning us back. Let us run with perseverance. What does it mean? It means that oftentimes when you're on that path with Jesus, you'll find yourself like you're running like a salmon going upstream because everybody else around you is going the other direction. It shouldn't surprise you, right? And so three things in closing. Uh, Paul writes, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. As I run my race with perseverance, I have to recognize that my redeemed potential, my potential because I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ from my past and the darkness in which I lived is entirely different than if I had not been redeemed. Amen? So how's your redeemed potential? Do you have an understanding of who you have the potential to be and accomplish in our world because of the work of God in your life? And then Paul writes, I forget what's behind me and I press on to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward. When you come to trust Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, he declares you an ambassador of God. And as an ambassador, you are living your life looking forward to what I'm calling an ambassadorship prize. That when you stand in the presence of God one day, he will give you the prize that you have earned as you ran your race with perseverance as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, representing God to your world. And then the third thing, perseverance is not an easy word. In fact, in Romans 5, it tells us suffering produces perseverance. There's a lot of us in this room who are familiar with suffering, tough times. Suffering produces perseverance because it's in the suffering that you experience the strength, the power of God, giving you the strength to stand for what is right and true. Stand uh, carrying the heavy loads of, of life and even others around you. Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance grows character, and character awakens hope. And I'm calling that my developmental progress. My hope is that you and I get excited about growth, spiritual growth, that you are today different from who you were a year ago. Are you? Are you different as a person from who you were a year ago or two years ago spiritually? Are you more trustworthy? Are you more patient and compassionate? Do you know more of God's Word that you can pour into your real-life circumstances? When you face choices and decisions, are you able to more discern what God wants to say to you? Your developmental progress, my friends. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off the things that hinder us from being who God's designed us to be. Let's watch out for the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The us there is individual, you and me, and the us is us, collective. I lay awake in bed at night sometimes asking God, God, if we, Calvary, could be all that you want us to be, and if we could be accomplishing all that you want us to be accomplishing here in Walworth County, in all those countries and other countries, what would it be, God? What would it look like? And then I ask, and God, what's holding us back? What's hindering us from becoming and accomplishing? You ever ask him that? God is a picture in his mind, a hope in his heart for what 2012 could be for you. Do you believe that? I believe that strongly and what it could be for us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off the things that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, for his great glory, and so that he can impact our world through you and me. Amen? Amen. You with me? We running together? then let's worship him. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for the privilege of being your people. And God, is there anyone in this room who has never yet trusted you, Lord Jesus Christ, to be their Savior and their King and their Lord? And God, are there some of my friends in this room who find themselves hindered so often by the baggage of the past? Are there some, O oh God, who right now have found themselves entangled again in one of those things that has held them so often in the past? God, today, 
Today, we long to step out of this room with a fresh new start on the future. We're only three weeks into the new year, but oh God, we've already experienced your presence and your power. We believe there's so much more that you want to do. And we know that the only way that we can be those people that you want us to be is if we will really make it our priority to know you. Knowing you, Jesus. That's our longing. We worship you now.